0: business and balls presented by house enterprise and brought to you by manscaped use the code house at checkout for 20 percent off your order and free shipping that's manscaped.com go there today that's will and i'm jake and what an awesome week of sports uh the masters is complete scotty scheffler with a big dub um it's baseball started again nba playoffs are about to start nhl playoffs are about to start this is the golden time tondo for sports and i'm buckled up oh and march madness ended too almost forgot about that i mean yeah this is it's the peak the weather's changing in new england and in the northeast um a good paradigm switch of the basketball ended hockey's ending baseball starting football draft the masters all this great stuff so a lot to cover, but more importantly, in terms of this podcast, I just looked at the date. Two year anniversary. Yeah, we're coming up in. April I think it's 15th. the thirteenth technically. Thirteenth, so tomorrow, um, two years in the beers, business, and balls podcast. Not That's pretty cool. Yeah, no. I, I looked. I was thinking around this time, like, damn, we definitely, we definitely had like our one year. A year ago from like right now and sure enough we released our first episode on april 7th 2020 but we didn't drop it for another six days because we're like what the fuck do we do like how do we get this out (laughs) what how are we marketing this shit so two years later we're swimming and we're we're thriving so love you all maybe we do a two-year anniversary spot next week yeah i mean we'll definitely have to or even at the end of this one, we'll brainstorm, but <laughs> we could maybe, uh, do we get Fanta on and try to double his beer total from the last time he was on, you should get Fanta on again. That'd be always a, he's always a pleasure. John Fanta had six beers the last time he was on the show. He's too big was, now. I know. He, maybe he'll us. He be big. He might <laughs> us. I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. We got him first. Although he does owe me a favor because I just did him one. So. so I think he owes the the program maybe uh, his uh, his fourth appearance on the show, right? Or is that his third? Fourth. Yeah, he's been on three separate it, times. His, his first time, and then he did a Browns and Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, that was when he took it from his phone on the couch. Yeah, and then the third time was the one year with him and Silverman. So, I just can't believe he drank six beers on our show. And he also, we also made a beer after him. We did. He's very embedded. Yeah, he he fucking owes embedded. us. And he was also an original for college hoops digest. He is an OG house enterprise. So two years of knowing John Fanta in the house world. We'll give a clap to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll clap to that, but more importantly, he fucking owes us one. So Fanta, if you're listening, you, you owe us and we'll, we look forward to your appearance next week or, or soon. Um, yeah exciting stuff today though um we continue our founders and friends series as well as our cincinnati trip i feel <laughs> like we can... i'm just like these are all great content and it's like we don't have the capacity to run three episodes a week and <laughs> this trip literally is like a two-month escapade that whole weekend of just founders and friends interviews uh bach it's just like the interviews are lining up the content's lining up but i mean also how was that five weeks ago first of all that feels like it was three months ago everything like that's just nuts i i'm struggling to fathom how we were in cincinnati just five weeks ago that's five crazy go bryant winning the tournament or the nec's four and a half weeks ago five weeks it's crazy it's crazy that's some crazy shit uh but regardless we've got We've got a good one. Uh, we've got Curtis Yulberg and Roxanne Westendorf from Moorline House in Cincinnati. I will say, out of lo- strictly locations, you can't beat Moorline's location in Cincinnati. Uh, right on the river. We'll talk about it. Sandwiched in between. I mean, like, you look out the window, you're looking at Great American Ballpark. And right is, down the street is Paul Brown. Yeah, exactly. You've got, a like, TQL Stadiums within a walking distance. Uh god what else like a, a really nice park down there that people just like you know chill that's and drink there. beers outside yeah. yeah there's a bunch of restaurants too it's uh that's that's the prime location for a weekend in in a weekend in cincinnati especially if you're watching sports like maybe like if it's end of august you double up with a, a a reds afternoon game followed by a sunday night football at Ooh. at paul brown like that's and stop in Moreline all the way. That'd be kind of sick. Like, just show up at Great American Ballpark at noon, see Joey Votto smack a couple of dingers. You, you go to Moreline, have a few beers. You go like get a sausage somewhere or a big burger, and you just walk your ass down, like, stumble to Paul Brown Stadium. Oh, no! Ideally, it'd be like it'd be a Sunday. It would be a Sunday whole day where it's like you start at it's going to be Bengals game at one. Oh, you flip it around. Yeah. Because then it's going to be a four o'clock game for um, the Reds and a seven o'clock uh, game for FCC. Oh man. There's man. definitely, I mean, if that, if they all plan that on one day, the city, the, the city, city would have burn enough, down. Yeah, this <laughs> even have, like, After that weekend, it's like that city didn't have enough beer for a festival. And it doesn't look like, yeah, oh, my God, they didn't. But, like, would you be able to time it out to where you couldn't go to the whole see game. A Reds game? I mean, September, but I think the MLS playoffs might start, like, in September. So, it would have to be an August preseason
1: <laughs>
0: or football. Yeah, but I feel like if you've watched the Bengals, you're going to want to see Joe Burrow, like, actually play a game. Probably right? get open weekend end of uh, yeah, September and yeah. August, you could probably do all three. I bet you could. The FCC is the only one tripping me out though. Cause obviously football's playing in September. They start baseball's playing in September the whole month. Like if FCC has to make the playoffs to play like they're fucked. They're, they're not making the playoffs. No, they play until October. All right. Then I guess we're going back to Cincinnati. <laughs> Only if if that happens, mark our words, we'll be back in Cincinnati in September. Or honestly, like, what other cities can you do that? that that's an interesting – can you do that in most cities? Like, are there going to be three pro sporting events? Fuck, mix in a preseason hockey game? Okay, College football? They, they don't play on Sundays, though. So it'd have to be a full week. Oh, shit. FCC plays on Saturdays. That's okay. You could do like an FCC and Rheingeis kind of deal. That's Saturday before. And then you just have your bender the next day for football and Sunday night baseball. I want to see what there's definitely an overlap. We'll tell you that. We'll come back to that. Uh, Dude, there's gotta be more cities too. Like, I mean, you could probably do that in Boston, but. (laughs) <laughs> like Gillette stadium just it's closer to providence than it is to I know and it is to like the Sox and and td garden and all that stuff too but um we'll get back to you folks on that for sure if there's a city or cincinnati that overlaps uh, that would be really sick but regardless we have gone way down the road from our interview um curtis Uhlberg, Roxanne Westendorf, uh we will have some beer this one was done Back in the first week of March, uh, we went down to Moorline Lagerhouse. House. This is our third interview of the day, so we, uh, you know, we were we caught our second win like right before this interview. I think we were kind of just like, holy shit, we've been like eating so much, drinking so much, like you know, let's see what happens. Basically, um, ended up being a really great conversation. Curtis Yuleberg uh, heads up most things from a Brewers perspective over there. Roxanne Westendorf uh, supports the Moorline from a community perspective. We talk about Prohibition. We talk about the location. We talk about the city of Cincinnati. So let's dive right in, take you out to Cincinnati with the folks at Moorline Lagerhouse. House. for the Bachfest weekend. We are at the Moreland Lager
1: House with Roxanne Westendorf and Curtis Ewellberg, Uh, two Cincinnati residents, beer lovers, beer drinkers. Curtis, obviously, you grew here and Roxanne, you're involved in the community in many different facets, but first and foremost, thank you for having us and welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. On. Yeah, so I mean, we got
0: to be remiss, we got to do a post, you know. Yeah. Curtis, you did it so strongly before <laughs> at the homebrew <laughs> competition,
1: yes. right. and the priest, uh, the the we are
0: excited to drink some bach. Yes. Good stuff. Um, yeah. well, let's start, you know, we're drinking a nice little bach sampler here. Um, walk us through kind of what's uh, what's in front of us here as a four more line box.
1: Sure. So we have our, our color bach, which is pale in color. Uh, oh, we made that from the 10th uh, anniversary dinner. Uh, it's pale in color, but it, it's a little bit more aggressively hot uh, than the other three. Um, we have the Schumann Bar, which is our uh, competition winner. Uh, David Stadelmeyer brewed that beer, and it
2: turned out great on our system. This is really good. Uh, we scaled a, I think
1: he brewed it originally on a 10 gallon scale, and we brewed it up to you know, 15 barrels. and. Uh,
2: it's been really, really, really nice. Then you've
1: got Barbender, which is it's uh, a, a double box from the, uh, the people at the Tintev. Great beer. Uh, and then the Huneback, which is, uh, I'm ashamed I, I haven't had a Huneback. The head brewer hasn't had it. Four citizens. Damn. Oh, Bachfest! Oh, man. you will have it tomorrow, for sure. Definitely, for sure. But, um, you know, we are Beers, Business of Balls, and we dive into the world of craft beer. But for
0: our casual fan that might not understand what these beers are,
1: can you kind of give us the rundown and the history of Bach beers and the history of Cincinnati um, with this craft beer community? So, Bach beer is
0: big beer style for the city of Cincinnati. Um, usually from a a beer standpoint they come in a little bit higher in alcohol. Um, They're a little harder to brew because they're
1: you know, when you have uh, higher alcohol levels. You're pulling, putting more grain into your system, and uh, it's kind of uh, a special thing for Cincinnati. And uh, you know, we have a whole festival for Sandy. Yeah.
2: So think about the lore of box. The, um, I mean, the lore which is like mostly true is that the monks in the monasteries would group Bach and not just Germans but like other you know other monasteries too would brew the big beers these big multi beers during Lent um, and it was part of their fasting and I've, I've recently read stuff well it wasn't just beer it was beer and bread you know things like that but basically it was a limited um, a limited fast, so you, you did a, a beer fast, if you will, uh, as part of the Latin uh, procedures or, or practices in a lot of the monasteries. And the box, um being malty yeah strong malty beers they actually provided some sustenance for the monks to get through the day now monks didn't go around toasted right um i think most of the box they brewed were a little lower alcohol than what we have today right and a lot more malt but it did with the, um, the vitamins and minerals that come in with the grains um and the sugar that comes in with the with the um, the Bach and how it's brewed, it did provide sustenance for the monks during their 40-day fast, or 46-day, depending on which version of the fast that you're looking at. There's some, I hadn't realized until I saw a couple of people are doing um, Bach fasts um, uh, today like you know for the past couple of years and they're, they're actually researched a little bit more So there are some four to six-day fasts, some places where you can eat on Sundays only and stuff like that But, but basically it's all about you know the, tr- the tradition of these like larger beers in the winter to kind of provide sustenance Cincinnati's had a Bach fest for at least 30 years a Celebration um, it's in the over the Rhine, the old German area primarily It's it's a combination of Bach beer, Bach first. We actually have a um, a Saint Francis, Saint Sarah um, brother who blesses the Bach and uh, and sausages for the festival. Uh, He loves his beer, Um, so it, it really is a kind of combination of. Yeah, the, the crazy beer people and the German community and even the religious community kind of coming together. Um, there's a great player tonight. Um, big fe- tomorrow's the kind of a big festival for like the masses and Sunday tends to be more of the day, like the German celebration day um but it's a three-day festival and then all the breweries in in cincinnati will also participate in some way whether it's just brewing beer having kind of some side um, festivals and stuff and obviously here at more Line it's a very big deal because um, we also have a hungry competition that goes well. right but i'm sure we'll get into a little bit more in a minute.
1: yeah and then you kind of you know
0: you merge all of that history and all of the the tradition and
1: you get more line um, so, you know, for, for the casual craft beer drinker, for the casual beer drinker in general, you I know, mean, what is Moorline? Uh, what is
0: Moorline House? What is Moorline Beer? You know, what is, uh, what does it mean to the community as well?
2: So Moorline does, Christian Moorline was one of the beer barons back in the 1800s. Um, you know, Cincinnati was a major beer producer, um, back when, when we had, eh, about as many breweries back then as we do now. I think we finally hit about the same number. Um, lots of breweries, lots of um, German culture, German breweries um, before Prohibition, um, and they built up a lot of the history of the brewing history in Cincinnati. Um, and I know you guys are going to do the um, historical tour tomorrow with the lagering tunnels, and I'm sure you'll have, yeah, you'll, you'll kind of give your uh, your listeners a little bit more about that later on, like after you've been through this tour. You, you have to experience it before you can talk about it. Um, but it, it's part of this history in Cincinnati. Greg, um, you know, got into the beer industry um, a long time ago. He was actually a distributor, Miller and Karsteiner, um, things like that. got more and more interested in the history and the history of Cincinnati um, and bought the Moreline brand. Uh, and it took him a number of years to be ready to open his place and take Christian Moreline into the t- 20th century, and now actually the 21st century, right? Um, So it took him a a little bit to get that done, but this is his vision here with the Walker House, and bringing the history of Cincinnati and the history of beer in. And he actually had access to a lot of the old recipes, which are interesting because they're written in German, and in a a dialect of German that very few people read. Um, and they, they don't give exact quantities, and they didn't necessarily use numbers and stuff like that before Prohibition as much. I mean, some people, yeah, they, it started to come in, so there were some records, but trying to recreate as much as you can some of those older German styles, and just the German culture around. The and so we don't lose the history of C- the Cincinnati brewing culture. So that's really what it, you know, is very important for Greg and for Morline overall to, to really preserve that. And that's really what started this whole thing.
1: One thing we'd love to talk about on this podcast is not only the beer, but the people behind the beer. So we'll start with you. Curtis, and you obviously are a brewer, but where did your roots in craft brewing start? How did you get into this world and, you know, what is your day-to-day here at the House? Uh, I started as a home brewer, Um, gosh, probably more than ten years ago. Um, And then my uh, my family were brewers back in, um, gosh, back in the 1870s. Wow. Came over from Germany. Um, So, having success as a home brewer, and then you put two and two together, you find out that Cincinnati State has a brewing science program, I had an opportunity to go and do that, and uh, uh,
0: really enjoyed the program, Uh, interned,
1: had an amazing co-op at uh, Sam Adam's Cincinnati Tap Room, and found myself here. Um, and, and I get to take everything that I've learned and all the passion from, uh, from being a hunter and uh, the science and the history and turn it into some really tasty beverages. And what has been the most, you know, I mean it's been a few years, but the most difficult transition from home brewing to now commercial brewing?
0: The difference between home brewing
1: and commercial brewing is cellaring. The cellar is completely different. Uh, You have the additional, not only do you have temperature control, you also have high pressure. So, learning how to, um, control and um, have your SOPs set up for success with pressure is probably the biggest challenge. And safety. And safety as well, yeah. When you have the chemicals that you use in, in homebrewing are easy. Chemicals uh, that you use, use in professional brewing are serious. Uh, I think that was a big learning for us too when we, uh, we interviewed a uh, local in Rhode Island brewery, Monica, and you know, we get the, the backdoor tour basically. And, uh, we get a, a sneak preview of something out of the uh, out of the fermenter before it gets the keg, and then all of a sudden the chemicals come out to spray it down. And the gloves and yeah, the mask when he's
2: wearing all this stuff. I feel like that's a, a key part
1: of you know, the brewing process that uh, I don't want to say it's overlooked by any means, but you, know, it's, you don't necessarily realize it until you get to that process. You know? Sanitation is huge, obviously, for homebrewers, but if you get it wrong when you're a homebrewer, you've wasted maybe a hundred bucks. If you get it wrong when you're in a professional setting, you not only have you, you know, wasted potentially thousands of dollars, but you have giant mess to clean up. So, and what was that first brew that you created as a homebrew? Do you remember way back when? The first brew that I made was a, an L.D. Carlson kit. It was a red ale. How'd it come out? It's fantastic. Wow. Nobody can see Yeah, I
2: know. I said my first beer came out great. My second beer was a disaster. So it's always good to have the first one come out good, right? I've never had a flop,
0: but I know that, that if I had the opportunity to go back and sample that First beer, I'd just be like, <laughs> it's
1: Yeah, kind of it's alive. a beer. It, nice. ah, yeah. <laughs> it smells like a beer, it looks beer like a beer. Yeah, it's a beer. Good Halfway job. tastes like one, but. Uh, and, and Roxanne, you know, if there's anyone that knows kind of that, you know, the, the ins and outs to it, it's also, you. you know, you go from engineer to crap beer, right? Um, how
0: did you get there? And, you know, kind of what's your role in this, uh, oh this crap beer i And also, show your medal. Oh you gotta show yeah. the medal too. Roxanne is, a, is an award winner
1: as of today. It's too.
2: So I Telegraph w- what you won the award so for. So I won the award for I, I won one of the bot c- categories I had an entry which was a Dunkel Roggen Doppelbach. So it's kind of like a Weizen bot, Doppelbach strength, but with all rye instead of wheat. And then dunkel darker color. So a little bit of those like yeah, you know, slightly darker malt flavours, but not roasted or something like that. So and
1: now you're a medalist.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm a medalist, I'm so excited. It's getting entered in national hunger competition this year. <laughs> but I've been brewing for a uh, lot longer than he has. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a, my brother gave my husband and me a kit for Christmas one year and then all of a sudden people said, Oh, you should do this, you should do that and I said yes and then they said you should do this and I said yes and <laughs> Like the key was, I, you know, when people suggested things to me, I listened to them and I looked at it and said, "Yeah, this is a good thing for me. It's a fun hobby." Um, yeah, I've got a background, you know, in chemistry, chemical engineering, but that's not required to homebrew by any stretch of the imagination. I'm also my husband's German. I'm Italian heritage, so you know, it's like we have the uh, the, by, the by marriage for either of us, but that whole cooking background is actually very um, helpful and, uh, from a brewing standpoint. Because um, I like to do a lot of crazy things. I like old techniques, I like new techniques, I like old styles, I like crazy styles, I like new uses, so I have a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've been, I've known the people in the brewing industry pretty much since it started. I've known Greg for a very long time. Um, and I, I've gotten involved with a lot of things and stayed heavily involved in the, the home aspects of things. Um, and homebrew spawned the craft brewing movement, right? So when you look at it, you know, without the without homebrewers, lightened right, we wouldn't have the brewing, the craft brewing industry that we have now. Um, and that's where so much of that creativity came from. Um and, and the whole learning process about how to do things and yeah. I think it's so important that people look at craft beer um, and and what it really brings to kind of the, the way we think about things. As creative people, and the way we think about things is having pride in our community because the, it's the, the local people and the local breweries in the community are huge. To a lot of stuff that goes on in the community beyond beer, there's a lot of philanthropic stuff that happens through through beer. So uh, it's something that's just been really easy to stay involved with because it's it's fun, but it also is meaningful.
1: Right. You have you know you make a great point. It's much more than just the product, right? And you look around here. The community is live well
0: right down here. To our, to our right, that's Paul Brown Stadium where the Bengals play. To our left is where the Cincinnati Reds play. You have TQL Stadium right down the road. You have the Cincinnati Cyclones venue. You know, what, how has this helped, right? It's it's obvious that, you know, maybe the traffic has... You're in a prime place for traffic. It's a good piece of real estate. It's on the water,
1: right? But, you know, what, what about the physical location makes more lines so successful. And specifically, like in relation to the, the sports community, too. You know, we have, obviously, foot trapping can have a really, really huge positive impact on a small business, yeah, you know, regardless of size, it's big or small business. So we have seasonality between people the uh, football stadium, the ballpark obviously, but then we also have uh, we also have the new music venues that people as well. Yeah we uh, like the Heritage uh, Bank Arena the music venue that is uh, downriver and has a tremendous uh, and, uh, and too,
2: down, down Right, and yeah. then, like, so right here you see the, v, what we call the Wiesem, right, so this big open field between us and Paul Brown Stadium, and, like, at Oktoberfest, um, yeah, Moreline will actually have a separate Oktoberfest celebration, where they set up tents and have, like, additional Oktoberfest space here besides the rest of the downtown Oktoberfest, which actually has kind of moved into this area anyway, because it's... This is a park. What you'll, what you'll find in the Cincinnati area, in Ohio in general, is that breweries tend to anchor meaning spaces. And in some places, the development is kind of a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and then other stuff happens, Yeah, you know, so it's like kind of one feeds the other. In other places, the breweries start, it, right? um, you know, right? You, know, you, you always have the sports arenas down here, but with the building of the new stadiums and everything, the whole thing just kind of coalesces um, and becomes really important, I think, from the standpoint like the small Park. Um, here it's all walkable, you know, you park and you walk and you hang out There's the Dora district now, so I don't know if you're familiar. I mean, so Dora is designated outdoor recreation area,
1: yeah. That's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, our Uber driver told us about this, <laughs> <Hey.
2: laughs>
1: mainly because of the open carry, you know, right? So, we are in the
2: Dora from district from here, around. and oh. there are numerous ones depending on where you are in the state. It's an Ohio law, it was it started a little bit before COVID. And halfway through COVID, they made all the Dora stuff permanent, um, which is awesome because it allows you to, you don't have to just sit inside a place and drink or, you know, and stay there and be captive or worry about getting into another place. You can you can go throughout the district, you have to buy a cup, buy your Dora cup. <laughs> um, it's a lot
1: easier than going, you know, chug it out.
2: Yeah. Your oh, it's also, but yes, it, it, it promotes more responsible consumption, um, and it also promotes more community, because you're out there talking to people, and not stuck at a table, you know, it's like, oh, I'm done, like, I want to go out and walk somebody else, come and take the table, it's like, you know, it's really one of those best-of-all-worlds types of things, um, it doesn't affect just beer, it's, it's any drinks now, which is pretty cool, but obviously beer is a little... It's it's very easily portable and it lasts you a little bit longer. It takes a little longer to drink a uh, pint than it does like a smaller glass, but uh, it's um, it, it's been a huge help for I think any brewery that's in a Dora district, and you'll almost always see at least one or more breweries anchoring a Dora district which is pretty cool. I can't say for all of them, but all the most of the ones I know about have at least one brewery drink, which is pretty cool. And it's it fits with the whole park-like atmosphere here. There's actually, Cincinnati has a summer beer fest that will be down here. Like, you know, in the park, right across from here. You know, it's, it just makes it so you you have more space, it's more comfortable, and it's much more a family atmosphere. And, and that's really part of craft brewery, right? It's not about the dingy, dirty bars. It's about family. That's
1: uh, such a good point. I'm curious too, and I know, Will, you are too, but the Cincinnati Bengals, the run that they have. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Maybe a source i at this point,
0: but, you know, there were, even from Rhode Island, we saw the videos of people wrapped around Mars. You know, and, uh, Curtis, before we hopped on the air, talking about how you basically.
1: You have to revise your production schedule, right? Because uh, the community came in and drank all your beer and laugh, basically. So, um, I mean, how cool is that to see the Bengals go on the Super Bowl run, you know, obviously guys did some cool, um, you know, endeavors with cans
0: and, and things like that as well, you know, to have the community rally around a team that wasn't expected to go that far in the Super Bowl and then come out and show out for
1: that long period of time that the Bengals were that this run. How cool is that? So, Last time that happened, I was in fourth grade, <laughs> and <laughs> that was the right. answer. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just dated myself there, but
2: the I was at least already in Cincinnati Pittsburgh working at that. 1989 <laughs> for those
1: listening at yeah. right. home, not to Aimee Curtis. Yeah,
2: 1989.
1: <laughs> the team made an investment in a couple of key players and ended up having the right stuff. And it was magical.
0: That was a good, they're, good, they're a
1: good team. team. To have a kicker that goes out and says, "Hey, it looks like we're going to go to the playoffs." That's just swagger. <laughs> so that, so that is ball, like, baller. Not a really baller stuff. Yeah.
2: And he's like just like a super sweet kid, that's right? Like, he's like a rookie uh, and he's like super sweet awesome. kid. And it's like, okay, we're there. He <laughs> was just talking about how unfair it was. All the crap
0: he received for you know watching a
1: halftime show and things like that.
0: So like he hasn't missed a kick in like ten weeks. And let the and
2: man, man do what he oh, wants. Yeah. like the guy is—he's doing, awesome. is doing
1: his job.
0: You want a Reuben? He, you are
2: okay. a Reuben. Well, and then you got Joe Joe Burrow. You know, like ice, you know, ice veins type of thing. And you know, people say it's like you know, nobody in Cincinnati is saying, "Oh, the this this season was a disaster because of that last game," because. The, out. We all know we need an offensive line, okay? Yeah. We all realize we There's all
1: really draft fans. projections that, you know, the first seven picks are all offensive <laughs> linemen, which, which <laughs> the other nice thing about A
2: Cincinnati. A free agents. <laughs> but... yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> the other nice thing about Cincinnati sports is, regardless of outcome, yeah. Cincinnati sports do not define Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> they complement Cincinnati. I like that.
2: But the fans are intense. Yeah. yeah and but polite. And you, yeah, <laughs> right.
1: There's there's an
0: intensity, <laughs> yes. but we're not, there are certain places in, in within, a, within a, a day's drive of Cincinnati where
1: their sports teams define the city. You can just say Cleveland. Cool. We,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we can say If you don't want to yeah. say it, we'll say it. They live over the for years. And they wear their hearts on their sleeves. What are you going to do? I grew, up, I grew up not too far from Philadelphia. You don't want to, like, dis and, say that. Man, right? I would no.
1: prefer we don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But it's like Cleveland wishes that they had a Joe Burrow instead of a Baker Mayfield. It is. It is. So everyone wishes well, they had a Baker, Baker Mayfield. May. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh. It's fine. <laughs> I, mean, I
2: don't know. It's fine. We have
1: yeah.
2: Joe Burrow. I I mean, have, we have we have Joe Burrow. Yeah. You have the Snoopy. The yeah. Snoopy. Yeah. Like everything. The
1: comparisons. Wow, exactly. They're let's talk right? about Cleveland sports, not in terms of sport <laughs> in terms of Greek tragedy. <laughs> That's why you're into Cleveland sports. Yeah. <laughs> not because you want to win a team, but because you're just like, oh, wow. That John Panto, we love you. you oh, right yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. But so yeah, God. do people realize, though, that, you know, yes, the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they did not win it. But the impact that it had not
0: only on the local economy, but the craft beer economy as well. I mean, you have the Houdé beer um, that... It was sold out immediately. I mean, just the buzz around the city where it's like, sports fans, they like to drink. You know, yeah. it's on an assumption. It's like they like to drink and it's like, where are they going? The place is right next to the stadium, but... How much of an impact was that, you know, these past couple
1: weeks in terms of like just a buzz around the
2: city? Yeah. They weren't just going to places next to the stadium. They were going everywhere. Like your local neighborhood bar. And like I know a friend of of mine posted it's like, well, it just takes away from drinking or like the spending and other like, you know, for the next couple weeks. So it's like, you know, it evens out. And I, in Cincinnati, I don't think it evens out. I think that we're a net positive because... Um, people aren't, people in Cincinnati don't cut down their social stuff because I did it last week. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, that's also the
0: why the we're getting to say,
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we've got so much stuff going on, you know, we have, like, we've had things postponed. It's been a, it's been a rough two years, right, for everybody in every city. But when you think about it, um, you know, we've we've survived, the brewing industry here has survived pretty well. I mean, people have had tough times, um, but everybody... We
1: survived COVID and we survived the Super
2: Bowl. Yeah. But you had, like, people, like, everybody did takeouts. Like, you know, the first, (laughs) this was the first place we came when we felt, like, safe last year. Like, you know, during the first break in the way... And it was a we were gonna eat inside, but that was a beautiful day, so we ended up eating outside up the stairs anyway, right? So, but it was like it was one of those things like, okay, like where do I trust going? And frankly, I mean, like uh, Morline Lager House was a place I trusted going, but most of the local breweries were places that we trusted to go to. So, you know, or to go takeout, or to do something like that. And everybody made it easy to still patronize them. So I think that was really
1: important. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a collective effort, as we were talking about before we kind of went on air. And, um, you know, Cincinnati has certainly lived up to that expectation. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's, you know, it's been great. It's uh, the, the beer community has really shown out. I think even just,
0: you know, what, less than 12 hours into our trip for sure. And we're, uh, we're excited to see what's in store. But Curtis, Roxanne, thank you, guys. Uh, yeah. This has been great. Um, yeah, thanks for visiting. Yeah, yeah give us, uh, you know, the, the floor is yours now. You know, where, if folks are visiting Cincinnati, where can they find your physical location? Location, uh, and how can they keep up with you guys on social media? How can they stay involved with the Cincinnati craft beer community as well? Sure, we're uh, we're on the on the banks. Actually, no, we're not even on the way. We're
1: at Smale Riverfront Park. That's right. Uh, in between the two stadiums, we're at uh, 115 Jill Nuxall Way. Um, you can visit us during a ball game. You can visit us during a uh, football game. Um, yeah. In terms of social media...
2: Just search for Moreline Lager House and you'll right. find it. And
0: you'll cut Curtis off the pumpkin. <laughs> right.
1: and just do that. Just Maybe we'll here. cut that
2: yeah. out. <laughs> so cool things, if you actually live in Cincinnati, like, don't forget about the Mug Club here, which is, this is the most awesome. Yeah, and
0: Roxanne, for you, you know, this is your pitch as well, you know, the, the, Moreline and the Cincinnati beer community.
2: And the community. How can
1: folks get involved in the Cincinnati beer community?
2: All right, so, um, like, lots of people have their, like, there's loyalty programs everywhere, the Mug Club for Moreline. I just I just want to let people know we have a local artist, Jim Effler, who does posters for our Baptist, um Festival every year. They are the most awesome posters. He's also collaborated with Greg Hardman, the owner of Moreline Lager House, on these mugs, which are awesome. There's um, this year, and there should be three more coming in future year. So it's a collectible, and it's practical, too, because um, you can use it. Um, I would also like to um, remind people about the homebrew community. So my club is the Bloatarian Brewing League. Um, College roommates in the 70s, that's all you need to know about our (laughs) name. So Bloatarian, like bloat. Glotarian. Glotarian.com, um, we sponsor, uh, we put on the competition, with Greg um, and Moreline Lagerhaus sponsored the competition, um, so it's the Bach Fest. We have it every year, except for last year, um, <laughs> yeah, life happens, yeah. but we have it every year, it's a Bach only competition. Um, so, Glotarian.com, um, you know, if you're in the area, we'd love to have you, like, join us. If you're visiting, we'd love to have you contact us. and. Um, if you're a homebrewer or interested in home brewing, you know, uh, let us know and um, yeah, it's here is good. Beer is good.
1: There's, I like a that. Pleasure. That's is good. Good. Uh, good. I mean, that <laughs> is it. we got a long weekend ahead. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And if you haven't been to Cincinnati yet, this is the place to be for craft beer. We are slowly but surely learning. Uh, again, Roxanne and Curtis, thank you for the time. Awesome. Cheers.
0: And that was just the Moorline crew closing up our Bach Fest celebration and interview series. Um, still a lot of more content, but we appreciate them both for allowing us to come in. They were super busy. They were just judging the homebrew competition, the restaurant was packed. It was right before the parade. So uh, we do really do appreciate the quick moment to uh, grab an interview. Now we head over to business. No Elon Musk this week, but that's fine. Uh, we got another Providence entrepreneur. Well- Maybe we can sprinkle in some Elon after this, too, before balls, but there's some interesting shit. Let's do the Elon then right now. We'll come back to it. No, we'll we'll do Elon now. we do it now? All right, let's do it now. So, I mean, Uh, let's get – Elon Musk. He buys 10% of Twitter, 9-point-something percent of Twitter. This guy's out of pocket is what he is, first of all. The guy literally just has an idea, and he has enough money where it's like, I want to do this, and then the next day it happens. So, he buys (laughs) – just under 10% of Twitter um, memes are going crazy everyone's excited and then he was like going to join the board but now he's not on the board um, supposedly his file, like he didn't file correctly with the SEC so like he might have not even like he wasn't supposed to buy this many shares of Twitter or like wasn't allowed to I mean this is like this is just straight out of a comedy skit this is a movie. I don't know what the hell's going on in the statement of the Twitter CEO was so funny. It's just like, Hey, um, I thought Elon joining our board would be best for us. Uh, you know, that was definitely the right call of us. Um, we went down that path and then, you know, he, he expressed interest in not joining our board. That's what's best for Twitter right now. It's like, so, Oh, so what the fuck is best for Twitter? Then you just said both times like, Oh, Elon joining will be best for us. And then, Oh, all of a sudden it's not because it doesn't happen. So I don't know. I think he's taking the approach of like, let's, let's be really loud. Like let's be sort of populist basically. And like throw in all this shit. I'm sure you guys saw over the weekend. I know you did. I'm sure of he's just throwing
2: out all these apps. And that's it.
0: Repeat that last part. I'm sure you saw this over the weekend. He was just tweeting, throwing out all these app improvements and just hoping it sticks, and people are engaging with it. They're saying, oh, shit, you're right. This shouldn't be $3 a month with Twitter blue. I should be verified if I pay a certain amount of money. What the fuck? I think he's staging a coup. I really do. I think there's going to be enough people to get pissed and either boycott or they all rally around them the biggest i mean the biggest move behind this is like elon is the biggest anti-censorship role model figurehead um Mm -hmm. in in our generation so it's like twitter has obviously been caught a lot in the recent like woke cancel you know we need to you know quiet people but then like isis leaders still have twitter so it's like whatever that means but Elon would obviously try to be a figurehead of change for that. So I don't know if it was like, he stepped down, the higher ups might've said something like, I don't know. It's definitely suspect because like when Elon has an an idea in his head, he does it. So for him to be like me smoking weed at the board meetings and like throwing out this stuff, trying to get stuff to stick on the wall to then like a couple days later being like, Oh yeah, no, we decided this isn't going to be the right path. Something's fishy. I agree. Something's up. That's the Elon stuff. We'll leave it there. We don't want to steer P- steal Pierre's thunder. So I interrupted a very well-deserved introduction for Pierre. Yes. No. So Pierre, another Providence entrepreneur, part of the founders and friends interview a few weeks ago. He is the founder of 1440 Media. Um, pretty cool. Pretty very highly growing company i mean he was talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people subscribing to this newsletter but he is bringing today's news in a very formulated quick easy digestible format and is growing like crazy so here is our interview with pierre of 1440 media
1: all right the final interview of the evening uh, Pierre Lipton, a Forbes 30 Under 30. We're gonna we gotta plug that, you know. But the uh, co-founder and COO of 1440, a Daily Digest that has over a million daily readers.
0: Uh, we appreciate you joining the show. And uh, how's everything on your end?
1: Yeah, doing doing well. We're pumped to be here. We're happy to have you. So, you know, give us a little bit about yourself, and then the one-minute e-pitch of your business. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm. This I'm a big hot seat question. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. I bet a lot of people have that same reaction. Yeah. Um, do I get a minute for both, or is it like- much yeah. time is You Yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Pierre, like a, like you said, I'm the co-founder CEO of 1440, um, Providence local, not native, but I've uh, been here about seven years now. Um, yeah, let's let's dive right into this uh, this quick one minute pitch. So yeah, my, my co-founders and I four years ago were just unbelievably frustrated with the news landscape. We were going to twenty different sources every day, from like TMZ for culture news, ESPN for sports, Wall Street Journal for business, Reuters for politics, and we just we wanted to bring it all in one place in a way that we could trust. Like the media is at an all time all time low in terms of trust right now, and we wanted to kind of get ahead of that. So. We actually just started a, a chain email with 78 friends and family. It was horrendous. It was like really low quality, but we were lucky enough to have to have like an incredible group of, of people that we were sending it to, and um, and they they just gave us feedback, helped us grow, helped us scale. So today we're at 1.3 million subscribers. We have the highest engagement rates in the industry, and. Um, just trying to try to build a, a news platform that people that people like it's like free of the clickbait and editorialism and, and sensationalism and, and uh and bias so that's that probably more than a minute spiel but there you go killed it though you and killed knock it out good. i think that's uh that's in the better half of the e-pidges yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know you make, you make a good point the news today in media right um Lots of different sources, everybody's got their takes basically. You know, what were some of those problems early on that you're like, I feel like maybe I have an opportunity here? You know, talk through some of those moments early on in your 1440 journey. Yeah, I mean, you look at like the 2016 presidential election, that was it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily a a watershed moment for us, but it was definitely percolating in our minds. If you look at just coverage of the election, the, the, uh, the campaign in the 2016, you see that Someone who watches CNN versus someone who watches Fox, regardless of your own beliefs, it, They just they, they, they have fundamentally different understandings of what's happening in the world. And when that happens, like like you can say one side's right, one side's wrong, but that's like that's the degradation of democracy. if, if two people can have such fundamentally different understandings of the facts. Not opinions, but of true facts of what's happening in the world. And you see it today still, like New York Times versus Wall Street Journal. They use charged language on either side of the aisle that, that really influences how people think and like how they how they inform their opinions about the world. And you know, what made you what was that aha moment for you that you're like, alright, we need to like get this email chain out and start making a more unified news source? Yeah, I don't know if there was a an aha moment per se, but it was I mean there was very much I, I, I gotta I gotta like give some some hat tips to my, my co-founders Drew and Tim. Um, they they both I think saw it much more than I did in the, in the beginning and um, they they just had to add this feeling. I mean they they, they they're about ten years old for me both of them and they both they both have this like this strong sense of the, their friends being like very influenced by the new sensing. Also like not having time in their day they were much busier than I was to be fair. And, um, and it's, it was just like so, yeah, so so deeply so deeply troubling how how different people's perspectives were based on based on media diet.
0: So email was pretty
1: unsexy quote-unquote, for many is. years, yeah. right? We, still, uh, you said it's still unsexy? Yeah, it's still unsexy. In,
0: in a way, it's still pretty
1: unsexy. Yeah. You know, we it's talk with, use uh, it every single day, though. Right. You know? So who did we talk with? Was it Adam White from Front Office Sports yes. about that? Yes. They started off very similar. It was email, yeah. you
0: know, let's let's reach people where they already are. Morning Crew is doing that now,
1: right? Exactly. What
0: was it about that for, you know, was it kind of a similar path of success for you guys that
2: you know
1: you kind of looked at that market and said all right well they're already there it's email you know it's already existing infrastructure you know walk us through the decision to go to email first for 1440. yeah so i mean we're we're at a brewery so normally i think it's 82 percent of stats are made up on the spot let's like (laughs) let's elevate that a little bit right now um, I think it's 70 to 75 percent of Americans the first app they open on their phone every day is the mail app tricks out it is astounding how this like dead medium that the death of email is so so well documented across across all these all these platforms, but like for for a dead platform, it's doing remarkably really well, and that was the case four years ago. I was, I was actually leading growth and conversation at a different at a different email company back then, and uh, I saw it firsthand, and I saw the opportunity to grow like more of a more of a mainstay in American life, that's like in fourteen forty. And I I was I had strong conviction that email was not dying and if you look at the matrix of like sexiness and doableness, it's like it's not sexy, it's not it's, it's highly doable. So that's yeah. like, where the money is, I think. Yeah, it's, like straight up on the uh, what is it called y-axis. I wasn't good at. Uh, I don't know which one's <laughs> which, but sexy and doable, or not sexy and highly doable. Right, it's it's one of the most like available. For sure. Yeah, though everybody has eBay. You know, what? I I ventured said like most Americans out here would probably time, like you probably to work. With them. So yeah, it's an interesting strategy. Low barrier almost no barrier to entry for a business. You make a Mailchimp account if you if you don't want to do a chain email, which which we did, but if you want to make it legit, you do a Mailchimp account. I think it's like 12 bucks a month, a starter package. You know, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, so what were some of the struggles you had, though? You know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, I heard some sort of the struggles, you know, whether it's to money, whether it's to gain users, right? So, what were some of the things that stood out as problems or maybe challenges for 1440 to start? Yeah, I mean there there have been multiple challenges, in definitely not all the sunshine, some sunshine and rainbows. Um, some of the some of the bigger earlier um Tree stumps or whatever, um, around around the language we used. Um, you, you actually there are political divides, understandably so. Political divides in even the most seemingly innocuous of words. So we we've learned the hard way, induction by by firewalls, like which words we can and can't use. So we actually have like a 1440 style guide that we don't say um, we don't say assault rifle, we say semi-automatic. weapon. Because one is, one is charged, and one's considered the, the, the point of reference for all of America, and uh, learning that is, is really interesting. It's interesting to see what makes people tick because you don't, you don't know that innately unless you're in all these, all these routes at the same time. So that was a big, a big, um, a big obstacle for us early on, just like learning how to combat that. But also, can't stress enough, like. Making revenue is, is not easy. There's a reason like pre-revenue companies are so so common because finding that first sponsor, finding that first paid customer who isn't your friend, your family, it's a slog. And that was that was a big a big uh, benchmark for all about first after revenue. Yeah, this has been great thus far. Before we let you go, we want to hear, you know. Is this something that you ever envisioned that you would accomplish? No. So, <laughs> you know, going back to that young age of like, you know, before when you were starting this, what advice do you wish you heard back then that, you know, would make things, waters a little bit easier, pastures a little bit greener, once you heard that advice to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I will uh... I'll slightly not answer your question before answering the question. But so I, growing up I actually really wanted to be an ambassador. I was uh, my granddad was, was an ambassador for the United Nations, had him moving around all the time. Um, and it was like really formative to my, my mom's childhood. But it also like I really learned the value of like finding meeting places and negotiations and then just like generally keep like between people of different backgrounds. So I when we were starting 1440, I had no idea that it would play any role because I had like so far detached myself from any interest in being an ambassador at this point. But I that that kind of kernel of knowledge that like meeting places are immensely important just for, for human life and important for democracy, people to at least like agree on some things. It's how you how you how you change things. So I um I I think people can, can differ politically while, while having having kind of common balance on what what is fact. So I don't know, just telling myself like not to, not to give up on that kind of ideology. That, like, common ground isn't necessarily a bad thing, and that, that people can learn from each other. And it's not always like the individual's fault what they believe. So, I want to get
0: your take on this as well before we wrap up. We've talked a lot about Rhode Island tonight, too. Um,
1: to do this in
0: Rhode Island, yeah. you know, what, is,
1: what does that mean to you? What does that mean to, you know, your potential customers, right? How important how is this for you to start this business here? Yeah, so, so full disclosure,
2: we're a fully remote company, uh, we're sure. technically headquartered in Chicago, we have employees
1: in Oregon, London, DC, Chicago area, here in Providence, so we're kind of all over the place. But for me, just like, I, mean, I, I I went to Brown for undergrad, and I, I met a lot of awesome people there, and I stuck around after because the food seems incredible, the people are wonderful, the, the like such close access to Newport is unreal. Um, but it, having like a maybe not like a Silicon Valley sized startup community, but having a Having a, a tight-knit community of entrepreneurs in Rhode Island is really something that, like, is not talked about enough, I think. We we went through the Mass Challenge program exclusively because of our, our relationships with existing and our founders, who encouraged us to apply to take care of we, we would have missed so many shots if we hadn't, if we were, or I personally would have missed so many shots at the based of Rhode Island. And I, yeah, I had a, a whole lot more success than that said it perfectly, Pierre, but we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners subscribe to 1440, get their daily news, as well as follow your content on social media? Yeah, we are at join1440.com. Subscribe for free, Hope you enjoy. Perfect. Awesome, that was Pierre Lofton, everyone. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the night. Thanks, for Thanks, been. Pierre. Appreciate it.
0: And That was just Pierre Lipton, 1440 Media. As you heard it, email first media company seeking to fight bias misinformation by using a just the facts approach. Uh, really cool dude, considering he's our age and doing all this stuff. He's Forbes 30 under 30. I mean, that's uh, it's, it's pretty sick. Uh, he's doing it in Rhode Island too. It, it's uh, it's interesting because, like, you know, there's a lot of Rhode Island entrepreneurs for as many as we meet, they don't really have like physical ties to Rhode Island other than like, Oh, our business is headquartered there. Um, so that's interesting stuff. Uh, I feel like we saw a lot of that at uh, the last couple conversations we had, but let's go to balls presented by manscaped. Uh, you know, the sales pitch by now, uh, I am now a few months into my lawnmower 4.0. I still love it. Uh, I know I am not returning it, uh, it is excellent. I still have my lawnmower 3.0. It just goes to show you how great the Manscaped product line is. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code house at checkout. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping. Every man, woman, and child should be using Manscaped. Uh, boxers, uh, ball deodorants, you name it. Manscaped has it. Uh, your balls will thank you later. Go to manscaped.com slash house, get your 20% off free shipping. Okay. March madness. Uh, we'll do a quick hit there. Kansas ended up winning by three, the under hit by a long shot. UNC covered. I think we were just like all wrong besides the UNC covering. I think you had, um, uh, did you have the over or under? I don't even remember. I hey, had the, uh, what did I Cause have? this was just like, it. not to say it was a dull game, but like it was, <sighs> It was cool that two blue bloods were playing. I had the under I just felt, yeah, you did take the under got yeah. it. So you, you hit that one. Um, I did not hit anything I placed. I don't think, I think I hit maybe Caleb loves shots or points or something, but I did not do well on Monday night. So um, overall, I thought it was a good game and a really good tournament. Um, so a lot of upsets, you saw St. Pete's do what they did. And then we saw the champions classic. Every one of those teams in the final forward won a championship before. Coach K got spoiled. Sorry, Chris Duhan. Uh yeah. I thought that was a, a solid game. I just thought the momentum was sucked out because Kansas uh or can or uh UNC just got off to a a really great start and Kansas uh, ended up coming back. Yeah, but that's what make the what makes the game good. It's like UNC shouldn't have even like had that high of a lead, you know, per se. It's like They obviously deserve to be there. They beat some very impressive teams. They came in as an eight seed. Um, Armando Baycott was a double-double machine, but he clearly was hurt. Huber Davis in his first season, like the storylines were there, but Kansas, I mean, congratulations on the comeback. That was something, uh, what was it, 15 points? Uh, yeah, that would, and that goes down as the biggest comeback ever in a national championship game. Isn't so, that crazy? That's a, yeah, that's a crazy storyline. So I think, uh, you know, Remy Martin made his 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 um, his mark. There his mark. you go. Yeah, I was like, I <laughs> lost. A, it was so again. We're talking about things that happened so far ago. It was only a week. I know. Before. Like, yeah, what happened <laughs> in that game? But yeah, college basketball. But we don't sleep until May, according to John Rothstein, there's been a lot of transfer news there's been a lot of coaching changes two things happened at bryant first off shout out to jared grasso for getting the bag got extension to 2026 2027 season he's staying in smithfield they're going to the america east bring on the catamounts the dogs will be dancing again hearing some rumors that john becker's getting some phone calls too from vermont so that would be kind of sick if he were to just leave, take a few players with him, and Vermont has to start over. I'll take that, You're one. Take that. that. Would take that. So big stuff all around. Again, Bryant won the NECs, lost to Wright State in the play-in game. Now in the America East, if they win this, you're a 13-14 seed, maybe even a 12. Yeah, as long as they don't, ch- like, choke in the regular season. You know, like, they need to maybe have one – high caliber game against a really good opponent, like, you know, Cincinnati, for example, they've got them on the schedule again next year. They got their ass kicked by is this year. If Cincinnati? they go and they, huh? Is that in Cincinnati? Oh, fuck. I just realized that that is in Cincinnati. And uh-huh. maybe that's a, <laughs> we're talking all about roads. Cincinnati so all much. Roads lead. Wait, when, when do you think that is? It's, it's, won't it's be either going to be late November or probably early December again. Yeah, because I looked in the weekend that they all overlapped. It would be um September 3rd. Imagine that if they're like, yeah, Bryant's playing an exhibition game against like, they're doing like an MT against Xavier first and then Cincinnati. That'd be sick. Well, when we go to Cincinnati for the Bryant Cincinnati game, we will go to hopefully a Bengals game. Uh, yeah, that'll check out. That'll check out. And we'll go Is there, There's no basketball in Cincinnati. They have juniors hockey too. <laughs> we'll, go to a, we'll go to a Bengals Maybe game. That'll be for another day. <laughs> but So big news coming out of Smithfield. But the second one. Was the darling of the of March Madness, Dougie Buckets, Doug Eiderk, St. Pete's legend. He's Brian Bulldog. That came out. Now that shit came out of thin air. Now, oh, dude, that was quick. It was one. It was quick, but everyone assumed like, okay, he's getting, he's in the transfer portal. Shaw just went to Seton Hall. Maybe, maybe it takes him, and he like, you know, he rides the pine. Whatever. But then on Twitter, Saturday during the day, it was just like, Peter Kiss is touring Doug around campus in Smithfield. And I'm like, first off, Peter Kiss, ambassador of the year. We were both Brian ambassadors. Good for you, brother. You just brought in a guy that has <laughs> 150,000 Instagram followers to campus and was just like, it was literally Simba. It was literally the Lion King where he was showing Simba like Pride Rock. He's like, this is your kingdom now. Like, go have it. And then, <laughs> then he looks at like one sock and he's like, just don't go over there. Just don't go over there. And then so Peter Kiss recruits Doug, Doug signs within an hour. He's like, yo, I'm coming to the dog pound. And then he's, he just retires from Bryant. Peter Kiss is like, thanks for my six years of basketball. I'm not doing my seventh. I'm going to go he to the He teased track. everybody so hard though, because as soon as Edert like posts and stuff, they come out and there's all these people going, holy shit. Peter Kiss, and Doug Eddard. What those a world. Like, I mean, honestly, for the casual college hoops fans, if they named five players from the tournament, those two guys are ridiculous. a dead ass. yeah. I don't think they could have named a single guy on Kansas. Maybe Remy Martin. Maybe Remy Martin. They probably would have mentioned Armando Bacon. Yeah, Maybe because Martin. they'd be like, oh, his name sounds like Bacon. Awesome. Fucking Paolo. Probably not. Probably Paolo. Maybe, like... Maybe Gillespie. I doubt it though. But you know, Peter Kiss and you know, Doug, uh, you know, Doug Eddard. Those are two headlines that even though, you know, Bryant didn't go as far, people had Peter Kiss on the radar and St. Peter's made it, you know, as far as they did. So... It, it was, was definitely like, for different reasons that Kiss was on the radar. they like well, everyone yeah. knew him because they're like, Wow, look at this asshole doing push-ups on but the But everyone sidewalk. said like they're like, yo, like Rothstein tweeted, it's like there's gonna be people in 30 years from now with I hate Peter Kiss shirts. And it's like if they made it as far, <laughs> he would have been the 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 man that wears the black hat in the tournament. Like Peter That Kiss- would be sick if he got far enough that they made a documentary on him. If they literally made I hate Christian Leitner about I hate Peter Kiss. That'd be yeah. sick. So Unfortunately, he goes, I mean, we thank Peter Kiss for everything. We hope to maybe have him on the pod one day soon, but um, you know, he he will do great stuff. I'm still not closing the door. I do think that seventh year of eligibility is still burning in his pocket that if shit goes sideways come the fall, I think he's enrolling and I do have inside information that he is in fact, in the townhouse lottery. <laughs> he is in the townhouse lottery, so this man is still considering Brian, although that's in okay. the townhouse lottery oh fuck uh, so because he's probably well you know that's that's taken an interesting twist. I also did find out insider info with sources that will not go on record with me um he's at the mercy of a previous school if he wants a seventh year and I'll leave it at that, but the previous school has to do some paperwork. There's only two of them. So I'll let the viewers decide to figure it out. So Rutgers, it's basically like, you know, they have to, he would have to have a medical hardship waiver. I don't think he's, he's not like he's got, it doesn't matter anymore because he's going pro like some, I've said this before. I don't know about the NBA. He's one of those guys that, in my opinion, can actually have a pretty solid career in the G League. Like, I really do believe that. Like, he could win a couple of rings and, like, score 25 points a game in the G League. I really don't think that's unrealistic. I think think this is the hierarchy of what happens to Peter Kiss. So, number one, he's going to go undrafted and sign a two-way contract and then probably spend most of the time in the G League. Maybe, maybe. Number, number two, I have him just straight G League sign. I think that's my realistic one. Number three, I think he could be a late round, a late second round pick for a team that has like four picks to throw away. Mm. Where it's no, like. I don't even know who has four, like who has four picks right now. Well, like some, there's definitely, you know, teams that have like a couple stashed in the second round. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't doubt it. I'm just like trying to think there's gotta be like a shitty team that has a bunch of like to the Thunder the thunder I don't really know um let's see who's got the uh why is it so hard to find like picks so hard it's like like these mock drafts are just based on so many hypothetical trades and shit it's like oh yeah the Knicks will trade seven guys uh looks like Cleveland has a few yeah, Cleveland has a couple. The T-Wolves have a couple. The Pelicans have a couple. Yeah, so it's like... Oklahoma City's got a few. Yeah. That's a possibility. So that's one, two, three. Number four, Europe. Wow, there's one draft that has the Celtics taking Johnny Juzang at the end. I, Dude, I'd honestly... Rather have Peter kiss like that. No biases, zero percent bias aside, and I realize that that's damn near impossible for us. Yeah, I'd rather have Peter kiss on my team than Johnny juzang I don't know. Just when when ESPN posted the stat of like guys who have scored twenty five points or more in X consecutive games, and it was Trey Young, him, uh Christian Leitner. Like it was just like yeah, fucking uh, Chris Clemens from uh, from Campbell who's been on fire. Like, I think someone takes a chance. And then the last one being, he comes back to Bryant. I think there's a, like a 5% chance that happens. Yeah, I'm not he, closing he, the door. I'm with well, you. That's what I said. The door is. I'm, not, I'm just saying the door is not closed. I think yes, it's all right. right. Yeah. Everything, those four things don't have to happen. So what's he going to do? Pull a Tom, in that scenario, would he pull a Tom Brady and just be like, "Yes, yeah, psych bitches. Like I posted this whole big thing about Bryant and Grosso and I'm coming back. You just want to stick it to the man, like kick Ben Shungu's ass for the emergence well, I Championship? I would. So, like, I would be pissed if he didn't go back to Bryant. I, I would be, too. Like, and again, if it was at the point where, you know, he's like, hey, I had an incredible year. We did so many good things at Bryant the past two seasons. I'm going to use my seventh eligibility to go to Baylor, go to, you know. Right, like that would be so, like a team that can win a title. Yeah. Where it's like, you know what? Fine. I get it. Like if he said that right after the tournament, but then if he was like loving all the Brian shit saying he wasn't, he was closing the door and then the fall comes around and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm signing back with so-and-so I'd be like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Like he goes to uh, like he goes to Iona. <laughs> yeah. You know, something like that. I'd be pissed, but Brian's looking good. Brian is looking good. Yeah, I agree. There's some question marks still. I think they need like one more big guy, honestly. Um, Antoine Walker from URI is a huge get. get. Uh, Kevon Kramer off the bench from Hofstra. That'll be nice. Dude, honestly, I think I've been thinking about this. I think Doug Edder, sorry, future podcast guests. I think he might come off the bench. There's nothing wrong with that. Good. He very very well could. Um, They're just too loaded. Pride's not giving up his minutes. No way pride is pride is the guy pride yeah. is the guy so here we are you know we're sure we're a rhode island based podcast you know we're talking about the national championship and we end up talking about Bryant. love it i love this stuff that's what uh, it's all about that's what brian is a tell yeah brian is a team that got on the map fully this year that people I agree. it's like you know there was some murmurs when grosso joined and there were some murmurs last year this season it was Okay, this team is now a destination where the next few years people are going to want to play for Grasso. Future's bright in Smithfield, as he always says, but always sunny. Uh, future is bright on the Diamond as well. Baseball is back. Um, listen, I'm, I, I thought I would be less intrigued by the season this year, just given everything that's been going on. I'm on board. I'll go on record. I'm on board with the season. Helped that the Yankees won twice. We did our World Series and MVP picks last week. Um, I might have to think long and hard about this Dodgers pick. I don't know. For the record, I reserve the right to change this take. I just don't think their pitching is as good as everybody says it is. So their bullpen's good. Yeah, their bullpen's great. Their bullpen's great. But their bullpen can't win them like as many baseball games as America's promising right now. I I 100% agree with you. I don't think their pitching's fantastic. However, the Dodgers are now in the position where too much money is invested, too many names are on this team, there will be trades, there will be additions. There's just... This isn't a team that, like, if the Yankees were in this position and then, like, had all these names, Cashman would be like, well, so-and-so is coming back from injury, so that's our addition. The Dodgers are like, no, who is the best name that's available on the block? They're just going to fucking take them. That's it. So, again, we can't also judge on stuff, but, like, after three days, like – positively yeah i'm all aboard on the yankee stuff right now but it's like there's still a lot that can be done it's like the pitching needs to be better um some of the players need to get their bats up but it's like i'm not all out on them i'm not all in on them the dodgers it's like on paper they're the team right now i agree We'll we'll have to see i just don't know like is muncie overrated like is bellinger in a rut like i mean is he Bellinger's kind of trash. How about that fall from grace he had? I mean, he was the guy, the MVP. In LA and the Dodgers promised him to be, you know, this next generation outfield. I think Chris Taylor's better than him right now. Oh, hundred percent. He he can't find the ball for the life of him. But when that sucks, look, though, I was rooting for him. This team, like, if you're a fan, the last five to seven years, and you're like, hey you're going to have a team with Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, and Mookie Betts, you'd be like, that's an all-star team. It's
1: like, no, that's just the Dodgers.
0: (laughs) I know. that's Their infield is all-star caliber right now. It, It absolutely is. And honestly, so is their outfield. Obviously, you have all those names on the Dodgers, but in the same argument, it's like, If you're a baseball fan the last 10 years and you close your eyes and said the Yankees have Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo and Josh Donaldson and Garrett Cole, you're going to be like, oh, well, shit, like this team's going to win 120 games. So that's the thing. You can't put a lot of stock on the names on paper. However, the Dodgers are a team where it's like the rich keep getting richer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what I, I think we should do, because we did World Series MVP last week. Uh, we've got three more categories. Maybe we can roll them out over the next couple of weeks. I'm just like, what our predictions are? Because honestly, none of this shit is going to change drastically into May. You want to do rookie of the year, Cy Young, or home run leader today? And we'll we'll, pick, we'll each pick one. Let's do rookie. because is my Cy Young. Lead, my Cy Young pick's going to be worthless after this weekend. So <laughs> That's true. It's a fucking Garrett Cole right now. No, um, so we'll do rookie. All right, you want you want to go first or? I'll go first. I'll start with the NL. Um, my lock that I put in and I believe was plus three something is um, Sayaya Suzuki on the Cubs. Oh yeah, yep. I mean, he's was that talented international prospect that every team always savers over he's not the next otani but his bat's legit in this cubs team which is not a full team at the moment i think he's going to be a diamond in the rough where it's like he's probably going to hit 25 plus home runs he's he's quick he has great defense and i like the fact that it's like a it's a yes there's an, adjust, an adjustment going from japan to the united states but he's been playing professional ball where it's like former pros are in Japan right now, pitching against him. So I really like him M. for my, for NL. I am. am I scratchy? No. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of post edit on this. Um, <laughs> so I like him on my NL and then my AL, I think it's a total crap shoot, but I'll probably just go Bobby with junior. I said that on our new um, house enterprise podcast, the Wobo wonder boys. Bobby Wood Jr., I think, is just – his name's been around for the past couple seasons where it's like, look out for this guy, look out for this guy. So, I, I like him. Yeah, wit is going to be a problem. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, a really high ceiling on this kid, which is good. I, I don't know what it's going to be like this year because Royals – like, how far can you go on the Royals? Like, that's the only question. So, I have no doubt the kid's going to be good if he – if he's as advertised um i was thinking about wit for al rookie of the year i will take spencer torkelson instead from detroit uh corner infielder the guy's going to be i think he started game 1 um it was up in the air it was very much like wit's wit. like oh well he's coming this year and he's going to be a major impact player um it's kind of the same deal where the tigers are going to suck too i don't know what the tigers have though they've got like bias that's really it. They just beat the you know, red. So side, they, today. Or, oh, they did? Good. Knock them dead. So Torkelson, uh, I'll I will put my faith in you, kid. Uh let's let's do it. Um, everyone in the NL. I really don't know. Suzuki's probably the most MLB ready. I don't want to take Seth beer either. I really don't. Um Brian Hayes Is he eligible? Yeah. No, I don't think he is. Right? No? No, he's not on the uh Vegas Insider list. You know who is though? Is Sixto Sanchez. Hate oh, that he got, one. He got votes last year. That makes no sense. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not taking Hayes this Oh year. no, like, it's or... it was um the other Pirates guy, O'Neal Cruz, but He's, oh, yeah. he's starting the season in the minors. Yeah, I don't I don't want that either. So I'll probably just take Suzuki here. Like I can name you a bunch of picks that I hate, which is everybody else. I mean, like 6 though, <laughs> I don't like. I think the Marlins are gonna suck. Uh Pitchers are tough. Yeah. The last time a pitcher won the rookie of the year in the AL was 2016, Michael Fulmer. And the last time a pitcher won in the NL was DeGrom in 14. You know, I hate the, I hate this. Take it because something's going to go wrong. I will take Seth Beer as the NL Rookie of the Year. This guy on National Beer Day the other day. He hit a three-run walk-off homer uh, on opening day, so. Plus 3,500 odds. Maybe he's a guy of destiny. I, I can't say I like it, Um. give me Seth Beer because uh, I, I like the odds anyway, so. 3,500 odds. I just did a total 180 on him. Wow. He was part of the Granky trade back in the day. What I didn't realize was the opening day starter for the Royals who was Granky. what yeah oh fuck that's right he did go to the he did go to kansas city so much about him uh i don't know he's always one of the markets that sucked maybe not houston well, that was his first team kansas city yeah i forgot yeah. about that i mean my dream guy on the yankees from that team is uh whit merrifield i know I love the utility guys. They also have... They've got uh, two guys named Witt. They have Amir Garrett. (laughs) The Royals, too? Yeah. Wasn't he legit on the posters at Great American Ballpark when we just went like a week ago or like five weeks ago?
1: Yeah. So I guess (laughs) it
0: feels like a week. feels like three years. I, I don't know anymore. Hunter Dozier. Benatendi, Carlos Santana. Actually, like that shouldn't Salvador be a per- bad team. Salvador Perez, yeah. The pitching probably is hot garbage though. Zach Ranke, Brad Keller, Chris Bubik, Carlos Hernandez, Daniel Lynch, Amir Garrett's their second, yeah, second reliever. You know what that is? That's fucking mid, is what that, that is. That is mid. City <laughs> Royals mid that's a that's about as mid as a rotation as you can build oh my god there's one guy on there that's like recognizable that's bad um not good all right next couple of weeks we'll do cy young we'll do home run leader maybe we'll mix in some funky shit too um if it comes down to that uh real quick we'll talk about the masters uh scotty scheffler congrats to you will um you sprinkled some cash on that, that
2: was my um, main
0: that's my main play that was yes. all, that was all, it the, wasn't that, was all the that was all the units. Good. It was the rain. It was the, yeah. the heavy pour. That was a good team win. Congrats to Scotty who 25 years old, having himself a fucking year. There was, he was a born in 96. That's he is dude. He's six months older than you. That's fucked up. There was something that was like, so before 2022, he had like no major wins. He was still ranked like top 20 in golf in the world. And probably had like $8 million career earnings, which is like, again, for 25 years old, that's fucking mint. Um, Well, better than what we're doing. And then in 2022, so since then, four major wins, including the Masters, like 12 to 13 million in earnings, and probably ranking like number one or number two. He is, he, yeah, he's confirmed one in uh, the world, right right? Yeah. So it's like, have yourself a 20 whatever whatever new year's resolution you did you got to write a book about it because that is just that's just pissing excellence it really is is he married i think so because he was kissing some he was kissing his wife i assume (laughs) he was kissing somebody (laughs) somebody but yeah it was a good tournament i think one of the saddest storylines was tiger woods i mean he made the cut he did very well in the beginning by the time Saturday afternoon rolled around, he was limping like a he was limping like a dead horse. It was sad. I think that's a sad storyline, though. I mean, this man was on death's door multiple times, and just to like do what he used to do, that is a miracle in and of itself. The man broke both of his legs last year, and he's back out there. That's fucking insane. Well, it was self inflicted. It was, but so, like... those are. Those are uh, you know just the particulars you can't be sorry for anybody but no, i'm not sorry for him i'm just saying like just that is physically him. one of sport's greatest moments like i'm not sad for him whatsoever like that's sick no like it was awesome to see him back i'm happy he's back he, tie, the golf is better when tigers in play however it's just like don't go out being like oh yeah like i i can win my sixth jacket and then shoot 18 over he wasn't that bad that he, like, it was just the last couple of days. that really fucked him, you know? Scotty won minus 12. He was 18 over. But he came into the, my point is, like, he came in the last round. What was he, like, plus two or three? He limped in. It was just sad to see. I hope that's not he's how the rest is. He's 46 years old, and he's like, what then the he hell he does he have to play note, He should have just retired in 2019 after he won and called it. I I will agree with you there. He shouldn't be sniffing the golf course, but like if he wants to, I'll power to him. Like who who the hell are we to tell him what the hell to do? You know? Tiger White. Tiger, Tiger Woods. You see, he's putting you to sleep. Yeah, well, I'm So 25, I'm not winning Masters. I'm going to go to bed by 10 (laughs) o'clock. So Tiger, kudos to him. Like he says he's going to try to play uh, at St. Andrews this year. I don't know, man like if he wants to play good for him i just don't want him to embarrass himself and shame on us to doubt tiger because he went out there at augusta he played like a champ the first two rounds like good for him honestly for even doing it um i don't know it's probably time to hang it up though yeah you know how much money he could make like commentating or like you know maybe i could see espn doing something like a tiger cast down the road you know maybe they get a golf package and they you know they put Tiger's pretty face on it, right? Well, not so pretty. He's a pretty, pretty ugly looking dude at this point. But yeah, I think he's got a long future in, in this business if he wants it. But just like hanging up. That's my yeah. That's my two cents there. Um last point here, NBA playoffs are basically set. A couple of interesting storylines here as well. Um First of all, Lakers on the outside looking in, they fire Frank Vogel after missing the playoffs. So we just talked about this with Chris Duhon last week. This is super team 2.0. And these super teams are 0-2. That's that's what I'm saying right now from the Lakers perspective. I don't know if it's them. I don't know if it's just the, the amount of ego and star power in the room, but like that wasn't good. That was a bad Lakers season the only person you have to blame is Anthony Davis. In my opinion, like Westbrook wasn't great, but Anthony Davis is the youngest. There has so much like MVP potential and he can't stay on the court for the life of him. He gets hurt a ton. He gets hurt a ton. So in hindsight, it would have been sick if this team did something because it's like a lot of players you grew up, you know, you had obviously LeBron AD, and Westbrook, but you had, mellow you had Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard. Um, there was it was Trevor Ariza. Like there was Rondo on that team too for a second, and then they swapped them. Yeah, so it's like he go the Cavs. No Jesus, Cavs right after Ricky Rubio got hurt. But DJ Augustine, Kent Bazemore, Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington. Like there was it was names, but it just what it didn't fit. It didn't fit. So. I don't know. I mean, freak the coach is always the scapegoat. I heard rumors that the Rockets want to bring back D'Antoni because of the James Harden. Like they did well when he was on the Rockets. So where does Doc go? Does Doc make his way back to LA? I don't know. That's don't what know. they were saying. They're like that's a brilliant move. They they fire Vogel for when Doc gets fired when he loses first round in Toronto. <laughs> they're playing chess. They are playing chess. Oh, God. Did you see the thing about Malik Monk, how they're disproportionately using him as the loss graphic? Oh, yeah. That, like, LeBron has never been in a, in a, in a loss graphic. Yeah, he's that's 100% in this contract. It has to be. 100%. And it's but, like, you lose that many times. Poor fucking Malik Monk, this dude from Kentucky who is like a standout. He's like in, I think it's, what was it? Like at least 25% of their loss graphics. Like that's so fucked up. Like, so- Oh yeah, we lost. Here's a picture of Malik Monk for the ninth time. <laughs>
1: Shitty.
0: Shitty. Oh, that really sucks. But yeah, so that that's the Lakers. Uh, that fails. Interesting strategy by the Celtics too. They, uh, they were worried that they were going to get Brooklyn in the seventh seed and they got them. Uh, Celtics were a three seed. They didn't tank. They didn't rest their guys. They didn't play Tatum once, which is like, you know, I don't really blame you, but they they're playing really great basketball right now. They got a two seed. They're probably going to play Brooklyn uh, in the seventh seed. Now they have to face a full strength team. Uh, Kyrie Durant, Going to be playing for all games, uh, potentially Simmons, too. We might see Ben Simmons for the first time at uh, the playoff level with the Nets. So that could be interesting. I don't know. That, that's the matchup to watch, in my opinion, first round um, season Nets. So That'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. Yeah, I mean, I haven't paid as much attention as I'd like to to the NBA as a whole. Uh, Suck to see the Knicks go, but a lot of young talent, talent that has been playing incredibly well the past few games early pick i i mean i hate to say it but the celtics the celtics are a team that i think is uh can come out of the east so that's interesting though cuz i don't know the heat they they just look a little different than they have um i think they're a better team than they were a couple of years ago when they went to the championship I don't know. I think you throw the Celtics against the Heat right now and the Heat take that. That's my only reservation. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because when you look at the play-in tournament, so if, say if the Cavs beat the Nets, right? In that play in hypothetical. So the, the Celtics would play the Cavs and then the Nets would either play the Hawks or the Hornets, say the Nets win that, it would be Nets-Heat round one. Who wins a game of seven? I think, could, Nets Brooklyn. I think that I really do think the Nets could. And then from there, it's like an easier path for the Celtics. Well, not necessarily easier, but they'd face the winner of either the Bucks or the Bulls, where Heat's Nets would play either the 76ers or the Raptors. Now, I don't think the Raptors are incredible, so it's the 76ers. But can the Sixers finally win a game? That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing. I hope the Suns go to the go in the West. I hope CP3 gets a ring. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's it's realistically, like, are the Heat a team of Destiny? Probably not. Or the Suns a team of Destiny. It's certainly looking like it. That's just what it comes down to for me. I think the Suns take it. Yeah. Early. Early prediction, right? I like the Suns. I like the Suns. So I think it's their seasonal lose right now. I really do. Um I said this about there were there was only one other team that I said this about specifically in college basketball and it was Iona and they lost first round so we'll see I'm not too confident uh that's that's the NBA that's our show uh we will have some more for you these next couple of weeks of course uh some good interviews lined up baseball starting up and the NBA playoffs are going on so what, what more do you need uh, we've got you covered the whole way and hopefully the business world doesn't collapse by then. Hopefully Elon's on a board somewhere. Um, and we will have your live reactions every step of the way. That was episode 83. You can find us anywhere. You listen to podcasts that's Will, and I'm Jake. So long folks. Take it easy.